uh, but, but amen. You doing good? Amen. So glad to be here today. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. We are in a series entitled, Getting Clear with Christ. Getting Clear with Christ. And uh, we're wanting to see Christ and who He is, and also have a proper uh, revelation of who we are. Sometimes it's good to see ourselves in a mirror, not only to see who He is and uh, how we should ought to see Him, but also to see ourselves in light of Him. And the Apostle John is writing uh, through the Holy Spirit, hearing Jesus Christ speak. He's writing to these seven churches uh, in the ancient times in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And uh, we're going to look at these churches. We've looked at each of them this week, and today we're going to look at another one. And I want to talk to you about marrying Christ. Each one we've talked about revering Him or seeing Him or even smelling Him a few weeks ago. But today I want to talk about marrying Jesus. And so let's pray as we get into the Word. Father, I want to ask you, Lord, to be with us this morning. Open our ears to hear, our hearts understand. Lord, open my mouth and, and my mind, Lord, to do only and speak only what you have for me to say. God, Holy Spirit, take over this moment. Let it not be from man, but let it be from you. And God, that our feet would walk differently as we leave this place today. And everybody said, Amen. In 1980, uh, the Hyatt Regency in Kansas City opened. It was a 40-story uh, beautiful building, a project with this multi-story atrium in the lobby. They had 120-foot suspension kind of walkways from the ceiling, four stories of them actually, and it kind of zigzagged across the lobby, made of steel and glass and concrete. Uh, and everybody admired the beauty of this uh, wonderful project. But on July 17th, exactly one year later, that fourth-story walkway collapsed crashing onto the second-story walkway, causing both walkways to fall onto the people below having a party. It killed 114, it injured 216, and it took 14 hours of work and dozens of volunteers with cranes and saws and jacks and more to rescue 29 people still under the rubble. And while it appeared sound and it looked beautiful and it appeared to be structurally uh, uh, integrity, have structural integrity, investigation would find out that not only did the engineer's original design only account for 60% of the load, that they also did not work with the steel engineers and the guys on the ground when they made changes. And so come to find out all this miscommunication and because the integrity did not hold up, it collapsed. How many people know despite outward appearances... Integrity matters. Despite outwardly uh, the integrity of that building, uh, what it seemed to be, the internal integrity mattered. You can have the best marriage on Facebook, and that might look great on the outside, but how do we know integrity on the inside matters? You can be the best employee in front of your boss, but when your boss leaves the room, your integrity is going to matter on how much you clock in and clock out at the right time how many paper clips do you take home with you? All those things matter. The integrity really does matter despite outward appearance. Or you can think about even in the Christian life, you may have the most appealing Christianity to everyone around you, but your integrity at home matters. Your integrity online matters. Your integrity of what you say when no one else is really listening uh, matters. And the same is true for this church. 
We can be the most uh, progressive, moving, uh, biggest, fastest growing, best program, best worship, best preaching church in our whole area on the outside. But our integrity on the inside matters. Uh, It doesn't always appear as it is. You can be increasing in church, but you can be decreasing in consecration. You can do all the good deeds, but you can still fall into sin. And today, we live in a day that's really caught up with cultural trends and being relevant and, and reaching a diverse audience. But if we can be so easily caught up with all of that, but we can be too casual uh, with sin. Like that hotel, our lives can appear to be stable until something very small as a rivet on a steel structure begins to slowly collapse uh, until disaster strikes. And how many, no, don't have to raise your hands, but how many people have seen that? You know someone that, man, I thought their marriage was really intact, and then come to find out this was going on the whole time. Or, man, I thought that pastor, man, I thought he was a man of God, and then come to find out years later, disaster happens. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning about what do we endure? Do we endure sin and tolerate sin, or do we endure separation and tolerate the separation from sin? Uh, Where does our strength come from? Where does our faith uh, really stand? How does it stand up to the tests of time? Would uh, my faithful devotion to Christ hold up to immense scrutiny? Will it hold the test of time, just like that walkway? It seemed to be doing good at the very beginning, but a year later it came crashing down. Do, do, do I have it inside of me? Do you have it that 20 years from now you will still be faithfully devoted, strong as ever with Jesus Christ? Somebody say amen. I want that, right? Amen. But are we tolerant of things that displease the Lord? That's really the key question for us today. Are we secretly tolerant of things In a day when we preach that word all over the media, are we tolerant of things uh, that displease the Lord? Do we endure sin or do we endure separation from sin? Let's look with me in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. We're going to talk about the church uh, Thyatira uh, and its spiritual adultery, okay? So uh, let's read together. I'm reading the New American Standard. We're going to read about uh, verse 18 through 29. Uh, And the apostle John writing uh, from Jesus Christ, says this, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like flame of fire, and his feet like burnished bronze, says this, I know. Somebody say, I know. I know your deeds and your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance. That's a good resume, right? And your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you. That you tolerate, somebody say tolerate. tolerate, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray. So they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you and the rest who are in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call him, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, whatever you have, hold fast, that is endure, hold fast until I come. 
He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds. Note that, my deeds. I know your deeds, but he who keeps my deeds until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of the potter are broken into pieces, I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Let's unpack this a little bit because there's a kind of a lot uh, in there, and it can kind of be overwhelming. Let me give you the background out of this church. John is writing to an average city uh, in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and he's writing to this city that was founded by Alexander the Great many years before, okay, under the, Gre- uh, the Greece uh, takeover of the world, right? Now we're in the takeover of Rome. And John writes back, and this is an average city, uh, and this city, uh, founded really by soldiers, uh, became a very big a trade place, a trade guild. There was like, uh, we have unions today, labor unions. They would have had unions at that time for pottery, from purple dye. This is one of the places where there was a very uh, big dye of purple linen. In fact, in the book of Acts, you hear about a lady by the name of Lydia, who was a person who dyed purple, right? Uh, and that's from, she was from this place. It was a very popular thing. People wanted to get nice red or purple robes or uh, drapes for your house, I guess. You know, that, that's where you'd go. They also were founded upon the sun god Apollos, uh, or Apollo. He was the son of Zeus. And so there's a lot of temples there, several temples there. And as we've said before, in this day and age, if you wanted to be in the trade union, if you wanted to make bronze, this was a very big bronze smelter there. And they, they made bronze, they had great pottery, and they had great dye and purple robes. If you wanted to be in any of these trade unions, you had to sacrifice a couple ways. You had to sacrifice uh, every time to this god, one of these gods, maybe Apollo, the sun god, son of Zeus. You probably had to sacrifice to the emperor, like say some incense and say, go in there and you're going to have a trade union. You're going to have a part. Maybe your coworker is going to have a party. And at that party, you're for sure going to say the emperor is Lord or Apollo is Lord. And we make a little sign and we'll put his, uh, this, you know, the sun God on the wall and, and we'll, we'll incorporate him. It was kind of uh, very economically uh, integrated with idolatry, okay? Paganism was part of their life. And we didn't really care if you really believed it, but you at least had to tolerate, okay, coming to the social club. You had to pay your dues to these ancient Greek or Roman gods, or you had to pay your dues to the emperor. It mattered. And in fact, if you didn't do that, you really didn't fit in. And this is where these Christians find themselves, They say, I can't go to those work parties. I can't participate in that trade union because it means I would have to proclaim things I believe are not true. I'd have to put money in on things that are not going to a very good place. In fact, some of these uh, uh, temples had had prostitution and had all kinds of pagan revelries that really were not good, really pagan stuff. And so they said, I can't do that. And so what happens is these Christians begin to be excluded from society. They begin to lose their jobs. And in fact, some people would shun them and not even let them in the market. They'd have to go peddle their stuff on the outskirts of the market or even out of town, or in fact, go to abject poverty. And so John is writing to that audience. He's writing to a people. 
And can you imagine facing social exclusion? For, we may get somebody jab at you on Facebook. You may get someone say, well, how come you don't drink with us in our, in our job? How come you don't come to the barbecue or whatever? You may get those things, but to be socially excluded, to lose your job and your family struggle to even have bread to eat because you're making a stand for Jesus Christ. That's what he's writing to. And so Jesus comes on this scene. He says, I want you to know, to, I want you to see me. Look who I am. He says, I am the son of God. They may be facing and, and worshiping the son of Zeus, but guess who I am, buddy? I am the son of God. He says, I am the bright and morning star. Think about that. How encouraging that would be that you're facing a persecution from sun god followers. And then Jesus steps on the scene and says, hey, guess what? I'm the bright and morning star. I am the son of God. In fact, that's the only place in Revelation ever says that. And so he says, see me. I want you to see me far above the other gods. How encouraging that would be. He says, look what he says. He says, his eyes were like flames of fire. That's his righteous judgment. He sees things uh, in light of holiness and righteousness and truth. His eyes are piercing into the hearts of man. And in fact, think about all the bronze smelters that would have been there. And it says that his feet, what is his feet like? Like bronze, like glowing. You ever seen like glowing metal where it's just like, uh, it looks like lava, right? It's just liquid glowing metal. He says that's how his feet, like that his feet are holy, they're separate, they bring judgment to the world. And while these people are burning up their bronze and casting out of society, my feet, see the imagery there? My feet are like burning bronze. And Jesus can step into this scene. He says, he even goes on, he says, my father's given me all authority over the nations. He says, my authority is like the authority that breaks the broken pottery, that they're all in this pottery business. He says, but man, when I step on the scene, my rule and my authority breaks the authority of man like those broken pots over there. It is as nothing. When you worship me, you're worshiping the all supreme mighty God. Somebody say amen. Amen. So you got to get a bigger idea of who Jesus is. We go through world troubles. We look at the economy. We see who's in the Congress and what's going on in the Supreme Court. Man, Jesus is on the throne. Somebody say amen. That's who we worship. We're not in this. We may feel weak and weary today, but you're going to rule and reign tomorrow. Right? He's encouraging these people. He says, I know who you are. He says, I know your deeds. I know what you're going through. Isn't it good to know that God knows? And he's going to reveal himself in a way that inspires you to hold fast and to hold on. And so he says, see me. Look at who I am. And he says, unlike all these false gods, I'm the morning star. My eyes are aflame. My feet are glowing bronze. I break men's rule like broken pottery. And I am the morning star. And then he says, I want you to see yourself. Look what he says. He says, Like a mirror, he says, I want you to see yourself. So he sees this growing church. And while the Ephesian church we talked about a few weeks ago was like lacking in their love and weakening in their love and turning inward, he says this about the church in Thyatira. He says, you guys are loving. You guys are faithful servants. He says, I know you're persevering in the place where you live. In fact, I look at your church and I say, you are doing greater things now than you've ever done. The works you're doing now are better. How many, wouldn't that good thing to know from Jesus? Man, you're an awesome Christian. 
Man, I see you, you're giving more in tithes than you've ever given. You're serving more than you ever serving. You're praying more. You're loving more. You're persevering. And you ever had someone say all kinds of nice things about you? And then you get to put a butt in there, right? Uh, that's how, it's, what is it, Mary Poppins, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, right? It's like, hey, you're awesome, but I have something against you, right? How is that? Don't you think you're, you're looking in the mirror, these guys are thinking, man, I'm, I'm, man, we're doing pretty good, looking pretty good as a church. Man, our pastor's awesome. Our worship team's rocking it. Man, our programs are reaching the, the loss. We're fasting. We're praying. We're doing all this stuff. We love the world. We have the best feeding programs, and we love everybody, and the lost people are coming in. And he says, you are better than you've ever been, but, but, here's the but. He says, you're tolerating spiritual adultery. What? How can we be doing that, Jesus? Have you seen our attendance lately? Have you heard our pastors preaching lately? Have you seen my wife's devotional life and the Beth Moore book she's going through? Have you seen how much I give to the orphans over? I mean, God, I'm even turning the other cheek to that coworker who nobody can stand. I mean, like, God, have you seen what's going on? He says, but I have something to tell you. You are tolerating spiritual adultery. You see, that idolatry, he's saying, is yet in the midst of the church. Man, I think about the American church so very much when I read this. He says there is idolatry even in the midst of a growing church. Idolatry, what is idolatry? Idolatry means to worship something created alongside or above the creator. It means to worship something created, anything on the earth equal with or greater than God. To worship the created with the creator. And so he says, there's this woman, Jezebel, in your midst. Now, her name was not Jezebel because nobody's going to name their kid Jezebel. If you know anything about the Bible, that's a, not a name. It's like Judas and Jezebel. There are not going to be any two Christian parents name their kids Judas and Jezebel. It's just not going to work. You need to go back and read your Bible. But Jezebel is the woman who married King Ahab, and he, she led him to be one of the worst kings in Israel's history. And she brought Baal worship. If you remember the story about Elijah calling fire down from heaven, that's her. She's the one that instigated all that 450 prophets of Baal. Bad, bad lady. Uh, in fact, she's the one that made Elijah flee, okay, into the wilderness. Just think about how bad she was, all right? And so he says there's a woman who, like that, like Jezebel corrupted that king, she is now corrupting your church. Now, this could have been a spirit, but it probably in that day was a, a I'm not saying anything about women here. Pause. Disclaimer. All right. But there was a person in their church who was teaching some false doctrine that had been beginning to permeate. In fact, more than just about this woman, it was the fact that the church, despite doing great things, had false doctrine, false beliefs, false philosophies in their midst. And some people speculate it was like this. Well, you know, I know we're supposed to come out from among them and be separate, but God really wouldn't want you to lose your job because at your job, you can reach the lost. So what's the big deal if you go to that work party and say a little prayer that you don't really mean, because God knows your heart, right? God knows your heart. He knows you don't really mean it. And whether you believe that way or not, at least you can tolerate being in the world, and then maybe you'll reach the world. You see this deception? 
Maybe you can just compromise a few drinks or a little incense here or a little revelry here because that's how you're going to keep your job. God doesn't want you to be poor. God doesn't want you to be excluded from that. God, God knows your heart. And she began to teach things maybe along those lines that if you would just compromise your radical stance, it's going to be okay. Let's water down the gospel just a little, just so that we can get along with society, because it's really about the deep things. In your heart, God can know that on the outside, you can do whatever you want to do with your body. You can maybe, maybe it's just sleeping around just a little. Maybe it's just getting drunk a few times. Maybe it's just a few movies that really have a little bit too much F-words or pornography or nudity, and then a few sex scenes. And it's okay if the, if the co-workers are watching it. Just go along with it. They know you're a Christian. But you can still have influence on them. You see how this works. There's a deception here that God says you have committed adultery against me. You have tolerated things that should not be tolerated. And despite how great of a job you're doing, it's like that bridge It's like that hotel. It seems to be great and beautiful and growing on the outside. But sometimes if you tolerate a little bit of evil for a little while, it's going to make you come crashing down. Amen. And so he says, no matter how good of a Christian you are, there's no excuse for tolerating sin. In fact, he says, I've been patient. Don't you know God's patience? I've been patient and I've implored these people to repentance who've taken on this teaching. But here's the fact that judgment is going to come and death is going to come for those who hold to this teaching. But for the rest of you who are not holding to this teaching, hold fast and stop enduring that toleration. But now hold fast and endure what I've held uh, given to you. Be faithful and hold fast. In fact, if you do that, he says your reward is going to be so great. You're going to gain the authority that I have over the nations. You're going to rule and reign with me in eternity. Don't fear what man is going to do to you because the authority I have is greater than the authority of man. And while they may be making their pottery and their bronze stuff now, just know that what I give you is going to be greater. And if you hold on to me, it's going to be worth it. So you may be enduring separation for a while. Just make sure you're not enduring sin, right? Are you enduring sin? Are you enduring separation from sin? So are we casual with sin? And the fact, the question really for this audience is, who defines sin? And we should ask the American church that today. Who defines sin? Is it what the culture around us says? Because they're going to redefine love. We're redefining marriage or redefining what is right, what is wrong, what is truth, what is relative. We're going to read. He says, who's defining sin? And is, is this woman Jezebel? Is this doctrine, this philosophy defining what's right and wrong? Or do I, Jesus Christ, define sin for you? Is it your pastor, your denominational preference? Is it your worship style culture? What defines right and wrong? And so he's saying, look at here. Look at me. Look at you. Who says what you should tolerate and what you should put up with or what you should put out? I want to talk to just a moment how this applies today. And I would say it's really about a consecrated Christianity. Uh, You're going to look at if we are the church in Thyatira and we should examine ourselves as such. I think too often in America we have a casual Christianity instead of a consecrated Christianity. So what do I mean by that? It's going to get really quiet and serious in here. But it's true. It's true. Jesus is like a faithful husband here. 
And like a faithful husband, he's not happy with a little compromise. I mean, how many of you, husbands and wives, are happy if your husband or wife just has a little flirtation at work, right? Because a little adultery is still adultery, right? A little bit of adultery is still adultery. I don't want my wife flirting with any other man at her job. I don't know about you, but I have issues with that because I know that any relationship you are too casual with is not consecrated. I take consecration in my marriage very seriously. Now, because the Bible even says in Exodus 34 that your God is a jealous God. That's what he means. He's not like this big, big bad guy, but in the constants of his wife, the bride, the church, his people, whom he's died and longed for, he says, I'm jealous for you with a jealous love that you are wholly mine. I've purchased you with the price of my son. And so he's jealous for us and for you, for my attention and for your attention. So is that relationship with the world, he's asking here, is it a little flirtation? Is it a little fling? Because any relationship that's too casual is not consecrated. So I love what John Piper says. In, uh, he says, he says, whatever replaces our appetite for God alone is an idol. And he says, this is what I have against you. You're tolerating idolatry or adultery. Here's what John Piper said. He said, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, it's apple pie. Think about it this way. It said the greatest enemy of hunger or going after God is not poison, but it's apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but it's this endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not that X-rated video, but it's the normal prime time dribble of triviality that you drink in every night. It's for all the ill and the big things Satan can do. What keeps us from God's banquet table of his love, it's that little piece of land. It's that yoke of oxen and it's that wife like we find in Luke and all the people who came to Christ and said, I want to follow you, but yet turned away from him. Sometimes it's not the big things. And sometimes in a church, well, if you would just stop drinking and doing drugs and having sex outside of marriage, then you'll be okay. And that's good enough. Come in, sing some songs, pay your tithes, go to Sunday school. You'll be all right. But he's saying there are things that seem to be big that we deal with, but then there's those little things that we tolerate that if we don't deal with those things, they can come out to be big character flaws later on. And if we were to be honest and examine ourselves, and I'm preaching to myself this morning, Heath Harris, what do you tolerate that is of the world that is not beneficial for your relationship with God? There's a lot. There's a lot of things that we tolerate that we endure that really in the long run do not benefit me or my relationship with God. So think about what some compromises, big compromises that are existing in the modern church today that seem to be small. How do we compromise in worshiping the created with the creator? Think about this, uh, fitting in with culture, fitting in with culture, whether it be our music taste, our music style. I'm not preaching against secular music or anything like that. I love jazz. I love classic rock. I love those things. But how much of that really matters? When it comes to my relationship between me and God, there are things and movies I've given up over the years. No one's told me to, but I've changed my preference because it doesn't glorify me and God connecting. Now, again, I'm not making laws here or rules, but the Holy Spirit tells me, hey, I don't want you to watch that. Hey, I don't like that. I don't want you to think that way or be a part of those things. There are people I stopped following on Facebook last week because <laughs> I didn't want to listen to that anymore. Right. You know what I'm talking about? So how much do we uh, fit in with culture, our music, our movies, our clothing? You know, today, 
uh, right now, and I've been to one. I've, years ago, I had the unfortunate privilege of being in a, in a church like this that played secular music from their stage and, in fact, played secular music in the, audio, in the, in the parking lot to make visitors who are secular feel more comfortable in their church. In fact, the church service I went to, God is my witness, they played Aerosmith during the offering in an effort to fit in with culture. And I'll tell you this, long story short, just a few months after that, that pastor had a moral failure and left the ministry. How much we try to, now that's on the extreme side. We don't have that a hope here in our area yet. But there is this move of how much do we try to fit in with culture? But let me tell you something. How much different is bringing that stuff into the church, in the building, in the programming, when you and me are the church every day at home? I've had people say, well, I would never watch those movies, Pastor, from the church service. We would never project that movie in the sanctuary. And I'll say, well, you watch it at home, right? You're putting it into your temple at home. But you would never watch it here with me sitting next to you. Whoo. I'm going to leave that there. And I'm going to be honest and say the same thing for my life. How much do I try to fit in? How much do I tolerate? How much do I endure? Now, these guys had to make a decision. How radical they were going to be for the cause of Christ. It meant losing your job. It meant your family going hungry. It meant the world hating you. For your stance for Jesus Christ. Now, did you preach against them and condemn them and all that stuff and hold picket signs in front of their trade unions? No. These people were passive. They were peaceable. They were preaching the love of God, that Jesus died for the whole world, that you might be saved from your sin. And he says, how much do you fit in with culture? Think about this. The big thing in the church today is redefining sin. There are clear issues in the, that were clear years ago in our churches that are now cloudy issues, Right? How do we date? How do we go through our, our holiness, our purity? There are clear issues, seemingly clear, in the Bible. Homosexuality is now becoming an issue. In fact, right now, there's a great speculation, and it's probably going to happen this next year, that the largest uh, denomination in America, the United Methodists, the second, the second largest, is about to split over the issue of homosexual pastors. Now, I love people who are homosexuals. I want to reach them through the gospel. I have great friends who have that lifestyle. I love them. I preach the gospel to them, and I've told them the truth and what I believe, but I still love them. But there is clear evidence in Scripture what God says. And here we have debate in American churches on whether to ordain openly homosexual clergy. Clear issues have now become cloudy. Think about abortion today. Colorado just recently debated this week and shut it down. Partial birth abortion that can a child have rights after it's been born if they intended to have an abortion. We're actually debating these issues in our country. And I'm not being political this morning. But there are clear issues that seemingly in our country have become cloudy. And the church has got to decide where it stands on right versus wrong, on truth Versus falsehood. Can I get an amen? That's where we stand. We are givers of the truth. And so what is clear can now be cloudy. Truth now in America is relative. I said I said the word tolerance is a very popular word. What often means you need to tolerate what I believe and I don't care what you believe, right? Tolerance. I'm, you need to be tolerant of me even though I'm not tolerant of you. 
And that is true in this context of what they were going through in this ancient church. There was multiple truths. Maybe you have a truth, but I have a truth. We all have truths, and all truths lead to the the right God. No, that's not what the Bible says. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's him. He defines what's right. He defines what's wrong. I had a, a conversation with a good friend. He became my good friend. And he, uh, he was an openly homosexual man, came into my church weeping and crying, and he might be listening here this morning online. Great guy. Love him. And I openly told him and sat with him through hours and walked through the, the gospel of what the truth of the Bible said. And I said, man, I'm not telling you this from me because I don't have an opinion in this. I really don't have an opinion. If it was up to me, man, yeah, there would be all kinds of crazy things. But this is what God's opinion is. God wrote this book. I didn't write this book. I didn't make this up, man. I'm going to tell you, and he respected that I told him the honest truth. Now, whether he decides to live that way or not, that's up to him and God. But we are responsible to tell the truth. It's not relative to you or to anyone else. There's one truth. That's Jesus Christ. He's the only way to the Father. And no one can come to the God but through him and what he says. So it's not about what I say. It's what he says. We have another movement in the modern church today. It's called Pleasure. Versus purity. This one will get you because how many of us could honestly say, I would rather be home watching TV than going to a church prayer meeting? Because my natural instinct is for pleasure and comfort and relaxation because where lives are so stressed, so busy, so worn out, and we want to close ourselves off and just escape from the world. And we find this little box. We bring into our house and we let it fill us over and over and over. Or we have a little phone and it fills us and fills us and fills us. And we would rather sit there in front of these little screens and these little boxes than come join with saints. Look at church attendance across America is plummeting because the church has traded pleasure for purity. Because we really naturally, if we were honest with ourselves, we really would sometimes rather be home in our stretchy pants and our recliner vegging out on our popular show. And sometimes we are more upset when we miss our favorite show and the power goes out than we are if we miss church. Is that not true? So it's a check for me. I'm not preaching it on you. I mean, I'm not trying to get on you. I want us to look in the mirror and examine ourselves towards a holy Christ and say, God, am I radical? He, he's telling a church that is losing their jobs, going poor and not eating. And he says, I've got something still against you. So where do you and I stand? If we be honest between the Holy God, because you're not going to stand before me at the judgment seat. You're going to stand before him, the guy who's got glowing eyes and feet and who can crush nations with a spoken word. You and I stand before him. He's the guy, he's the boss. He makes the rules, but he loves you. He's patient towards you that none should perish, that all should have everlasting life. And he wants you to make it. He wants to spend eternity with you. He wants to give you the rule and reign of the nations of the world and that you would receive him as your greatest reward. He wants to give you himself, the best thing he has to offer, all of heaven. He wants to give it to you. If you and I would just say, you know what, God, it's going to be worth me enduring separation to receive you. 
It's going to be worth me giving up movies and entertainment and pleasures and comfort. It's going to be worth it. It may hurt and exclude me, and I may not fit in with this world, and I may not feel at home, and I may not get all the fancy toys that everybody in this world gets and go to the same vacations and have the same houses and and do all the same things they do and watch the same movies and be able to converse at work about the latest R-rated movie or whatever that they're all talking about. I may not fit in, but I will gain Christ. I will gain the rose of Sharon, the bright and morning star, the beauty of heaven, and I will be elevated to a position of authority in Christ. And I will have all of eternity to enjoy the pleasures that he has for me. So he says, will you endure sin or will you endure separation? And lastly is this. What's our reaction? Matthew five thirteen, Jesus says, guys, you're the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? No, it'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. He's saying, what's like salt? You put it in water, you put it in food, it should affect the thing that it's in. You and I are, the, are like that. Man, if the world affects you and you lose your flavor, then what good is that? But if you are in the world, you will always be separate. Man, when you taste salty food, I was talking to people this week about you guys like Tony so much here you know it's mostly salt mostly salt and but y'all man y'all put it all over everything you know y'all put it on a salad probably you know and just just salt everything you know and it affects the flavor of that and you and I need to be the Tony Statries of Louisiana we need to be something everybody wants on everything and affect change globally all right I went to Guyana in South America I, I posted on Facebook you know uh, I don't eat fried chicken very much, but I had a lot of fried chicken there, and Lord was good to me, and Louisiana followed me there, and they had a Popeye's chicken just down the road from where I was staying. I'm like, look, Louisiana affects the world, you know, Louisiana uh, home kitchen, right? What do we tolerate? What do we endure? Jesus is asking us to examine our excuses. Well, God knows my heart. Well, I do do a lot of church. Man, I, I'm doing okay. If anybody knew, man, I'm really, I'm, I'm not doing too bad. But what is our excuse? Are we enduring sin? Are we willing to endure the separation of sin that we might gain Christ? Jesus, church today, is looking for his bride. He says in Revelation 19, who has made herself ready. She's willing to come out spotless and clean from the world because she just wants to gain him. I'm not looking to gain a vacation or the approval of man or comfort in this world. Is our real gain, thing I'm longing for the most in this life, is to gain Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Worship team, would you come? Am I enduring sin or I'm willing to endure the separation of sin that I might gain him? Father, are we radical enough? God, we can have all the good works and all the good efforts. We can have all the great accolades. We could be the best church. We could be the best Christian. But God, what are we enduring? What do we tolerate in our life? Lord, I want you to help us this morning, even myself. God, are there areas of our hearts, little rivets, little nuts, little bolts, things that seem small and trivial, but maybe you have a problem with. Maybe I don't have a problem with, and maybe the culture around me doesn't have a problem with. Everybody does those things. Everybody watches those things. Everybody says those things. Everybody goes to those places, God. But if it bothers you, Father, it should bother me. If, I'm your, if we're your bride, the church, we're here for you. We're not here for the world. 
We're not here to fit in and please the world. We're here to please you. And so, God, if it's the movies we watch, if the language that we have, God, if it's the things we attend and and do, Lord, whatever it is, I know you're not condemning us this morning, God. You said you were patient that all might come, that you were even patient with this woman, Jezebel, and and you wanted her to repent and, and come back to you. God, that's your heart this morning. You're not here to condemn one person, to beat on one person, to shame them. You're pleading with us to come back into a right relationship full of love, full of blessing. And so, Father, I pray for every person here this morning. God, would you examine our hearts? It's not for me to say what is right and wrong in each of our lives. Father, that's your job. And I know, Holy Spirit, you can do that right now. So I'm going to ask you, just between you and the Lord, would you allow the Lord to just reveal anything in your heart? Again, it's not condemnation. It's conviction. And it's to lead us to repentance so we might have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our life. I want the fullness of the Holy Spirit in my life. I don't know about you. I want every blessing God has for me. I want to please my Heavenly Father. And so, Lord, right now, we're just going to take a moment, press pause. God, is my attitude right? God, is my language right? God, is my behavior and my hobbies? Lord, the entertainment that I put in my life. How's my prayer life, Lord? How's my prayer life, or how's my devotional life?